What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. A Playlist Original Just watch me. The medium is the message. Proof is approved. What kind of proof? It's approved. It has no core identity. Smashed potatoes are no gravy. You know what I'm saying? Speaking uh, moistly on them. Hello and welcome to Just Watch Me. I'm Kate. And I'm Liv. And today on the podcast, we're joined by our friend Emily from The Breakfast Book Club, a fellow Playlist original and a podcast about all things books. Um, Emily, can you introduce yourself a little bit and tell the listener a bit about your podcast? Yeah, so hi, I'm Emily. Um, I've just started the Breakfast Book Club podcast as an extra to the Breakfast Book Club over on Instagram. And each week I'm joined by a guest and we talk about the books that are most important to them. We've had some great answers so far. I really, I have to say, my one of my favorite things about um, you is how aesthetically pleasing your uh, Instagram feed is. Like, you make every book look, like, amazing. <laughs> if I was an author, I'd be like, I need to get on Emily's feed because she is going to sell my book. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about a form of culture we don't talk about very much on this show. But we should. Books. And this is our attempt to. <laughs> So Emily is going to talk with us about a work of Canadian fiction called Autopsy of a Boring Wife. To give an overview, this is the story of a 48-year-old woman whose husband leaves her for a younger woman because she is too boring. The story takes the reader on Diane's journey as she navigates a brave new world in the aftermath of her 25-year-old marriage. The CBC called this a Quebecois Bridget Jones diary. Um, This is... Brought to us by Marie-Renée Lavoie, a Montreal author who's written three books, including Mr. Roger and Me, and A Boring Wife Settles the Score. So I think just to start off, can we do just like high level first impressions? Like, did you like this book? Yes, I did. <laughs> um, I had no idea what to expect. Um, it's I quite liked it though because it's very rare because of the Instagram account that I read a book that I don't know anything about. So I just went in blind with the Bridget Jones reference and was like, yeah, okay, we'll try this and ended up really enjoying it. Yeah, I have to say same with me. I think like, I don't, I don't read a lot of Canadian books and um, I'm going to out myself right there. And so this was my attempt to bring some Canadian books into <laughs> into my life and force a Canadian book on Katie. And she did so very willingly. Um, and something that I, that is interesting in Canada is that there's a very different culture in Quebec versus the rest of Canada. There's a very distinctive culture. And so I was quite curious also how I would um, – what my impression of uh, the Quebecois culture would be after this book, and um, I'm not sure that I, <laughs> I'm not sure that I really found uh, like such a distinction as I was expecting to, to be honest. Despite like some obvious um, like references to like American culture that seemed a little bit like more misplaced than they would have in a like a English novel. 
because I guess we should say that this novel was originally written in French and was translated. Um, and so you, there, you definitely get a sense of, um, like the French names and like the, the remnants of it, like being written in French in a, in a way that I think is like, it makes it to me a little bit more uniquely Canadian, but, um, I'm quite interested to dive into a conversation about that later and get Katie's thoughts on that too. So I liked this book. It was it's a really <laughs> quick read. It's, it's quite short and I'm going to also out myself that I did not read this book. I listened to this book. Um, but there's a whole other element when you listen to an audiobook. It was, it was very strange in that just from the recording in that, um, it was obviously set in, it's it's in Quebec, but but the the main the protagonist doesn't have a French accent, but um, the 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 person reading the book what is it or the narrator is um, doing some French like French Canadian accents and some just French accents and some Canadian accents like very Canadian accents. It was it was quite a journey with the audio. I have to agree. I also <laughs> listened to it. If- I also listened to it and I found it really funny, like who was French and who was not French, I guess. And, like and who was French versus who was French Canadian. There were there were some just like attempts at just French accents. Yeah. It yeah. Was, it was thrilling. Honestly, it, it kind of made it fun, though. It did make it fun. OK, so this is called Autopsy of a Boring Wife. So my first question is, is Diana boring wife? I think no. And I have this great quote from the book. Okay. The quote reads, that's the good thing about being boring. The most insignificant little thing becomes a gripping adventure. And I thought to myself, maybe, maybe she is a little bit boring, but that's not the problem. Like you find the joys in the mundaneness of life. And like, that's, that's where the fun is. But I don't, I don't think that she's boring. I think that she's incredibly exciting. And, um, I don't want to say like, (laughs) um, what's the word? Not sassy, but like has a lot of like, um, vigor to her. Katie, help me. What's the word I'm looking for here? I don't know. I was wanting to say spunk, but I know you hate when I say spunk. So you um, overuse it. You say everything is spunky. <laughs> Anything that's like a little bit eccentric. Like, well, she's, you know how she is. She's like a little bit spunky. I'm like, no, I don't know what that means. <laughs> okay. Well, that's really how I felt like with Diane. She was like, she would do things that I could never imagine myself doing. And I like the dumping of the water on the, um, on the. She's called the other woman. Okay. On the other woman shirt. That's a nice way to say it. And she, like, dumps water on her head, and I, like, was holding my breath at that moment. I was like, I could never, I could never have done that, even as much as I, like, maybe wanted to ever. Um, I couldn't do it. So I, like, in that way, I was like, this woman is not boring at all. She's obviously got so much um, life in her. But I think that what resonated with me is that, like, she she probably kind of was boring in her marriage, in her, in her life, like before we met her because she had like lost herself in some way. And I felt that this book was kind of like her finding herself again and her like coming into her own in a way because she'd been like coupled up for so long. Um, now of course we don't know what she was like before the book, but certainly we're left with the impression that she like wasn't really that boring. (laughs) Well, so so I completely agree. And I think that like the book leans on like stereotypes of 
what it means to be boring. Well, stereotypes mm-hmm. of what it means to be a boring woman too, right? Like mm-hmm. a woman who's had the same haircut and hairstyle for th- the last 30 years. She's a mom. She lives in the suburbs. She works in corporate. She has a corporate job. Like, um, or she talks about secretaries and being on the file and taking the elevator. Like these are like stereotypes of boringness that I also, I don't, th- I don't think that's ever true. Like I think people who have those characteristics can be, interesting but i i I also think that somebody who has uh the rage and the ability to act on it the way that diane has is clearly so far from boring like someone who takes a sledgehammer to her and her husband's bed like and or like attacks the leaf blower of her neighbor like the things (laughs) that she does in this book plants the seed plants like a like untrue sexual stories about her husband to her husband's mother like all these things (laughs) like she is just so far from from boring i think someone how confrontational she is too like the way that she um there's a moment where she her she has this flirtation with this colleague and she says his secretary tells his wife and it becomes a whole thing and she goes right to the secretary she calls her a bitch to her face and she throws coffee in her face she made sure it wasn't hot though i liked that detail it was cold (laughs) and she just threw it on her white jacket i felt a little bit like the boring wife was her own insecurities in the marriage like she felt she was boring whereas to anybody else looking in they would never have said oh she's boring Especially, like you said, all the little details and there was part of it that had me just like laughing out loud whilst I was reading it. Like when she took the boots off and was just like, oh, you want these boots for your wife? Here you go. That was so weird. She just gave them. That was so weird. And she walked home with no shoes on. I was like, what's this woman doing? Like, What's going on? (laughs) Um, So yeah, little things like that. I just thought, no, she's not boring. But then I felt like over the course of the book, like the autopsy was her realising that she's not. Because I didn't understand the title at first. I was like, autopsy of a boring wife. Like, what's going on? And at the end, I thought, oh, maybe. Maybe I'm thinking too much into it. But equally, it could be. <laughs> yeah, what What do we think the autopsy is? I think that's a great, great next place to go. You think it's discovering that she's not boring? Yeah, like just going, like looking back over a marriage and being like, right, okay, maybe I was a boring wife. But there was all these little elements that weren't exactly me. So she she's dead the boring wife's dead and i'm back yes she was there the boring wife is dead but diane lives yes (laughs) yeah definitely little on the nose but yeah yeah (laughs) yeah i think also um you do realize as the book goes on that she's an unreliable narrator in terms of like how she talks about her uh, relationship and how she talks about her ex-husband um, because she kind of paints this picture of him being the perfect husband, perfect dad. And then, you know, once she gets the the huge file from the private investigator, you get a sense that he's not probably as innocent as she paints him to be. And so it did also call into question to me her contribution in the marriage. And it kind of made me think like she probably was facilitating um, his happiness in the marriage or his ability to be the perfect husband and ability to be the perfect uh, 
dad uh, because she was, I suspect, like going behind the scenes and and making, you know, his life a lot easier. And I don't think that she was probably giving herself as much credit. Um, but you see like in the way that her children are treating her um, and the way that people around her are treating her that she's she was obviously – excelling in in all those roles um so i think it's it's yeah i think she was a very unreliable narrator and we got the truth as the story went on can we talk about jacques now that we're there (laughs) so i want to start by saying i don't really feel like you get a real good sense of the character like i don't really think i understood very much about him what do we learn about him we learn that he can't dance he and diane both can't dance he was a good dad, I guess, and he would, like, put together toys with them, and when Charlotte left for school, he, like, held her hand. Like, we don't get a lot about him. Like, do you, does anybody else have a sense of who he, who he was? Because I, I really don't. You know what? No, but I think that that's kind of the point. The point isn't, um, him, it's not about him. It's about her and like what, like what we were just talking about her autopsy, right? And I think that you can only really figure out who you are when you're com- like when you're going on that journey individually. If you're just constantly comparing yourself to someone else, it's not really truly finding out who you are. So to me, I didn't want to get to know him. I didn't really care about him, and um, I didn't feel. Oh really? I didn't. I w- I didn't feel let down at all. I was like, this guy's yesterday's news, and like we can focus on Diane. Yeah, I completely agree with that. We also learned that he doesn't like to kiss with tongue. Oh yeah, yeah you forgot to mention <laughs> that. <laughs> what does that detail like? What do we think about that detail? What does that mean? Like that he was withholding, maybe. Like, to me, it just meant that the passion has maybe gone, or maybe it wasn't ever really there. Yeah, like maybe they just sort of fell into this marriage and that like goes with the boring wife. Maybe they were both boring, she's just idealizing the husbands. Yeah. On on that on the pedestal. Um so th- there's a point in the book where Diane hires a private investigator to look into Jacques' past. She gets I think her friend Claudine kind of puts her up to it. And because her her husband, her best friend in, in the book, her husband also left her for a young woman. She also hired a private investigator. Her friend puts her up to it. She hires a private investigator who delivers her a package of a whole inch thick, she says. And this entire book, she's kind of building him up as the perfect husband. And, and that she really has him on a pedestal, I think, like so many people do to their exes when they're gone and when they're sad. But she doesn't open the package from the private investigator what do we think about that that really annoyed me i wanted (laughs) to know what was in that (laughs) i just don't understand how as a person you can go i'm just gonna stick it in the wall your marriage is already over you might as well know what's gone on (laughs) in the last (laughs) you would open it yeah 100 (laughs) percent Um, well, I was kind of surprised that she didn't because she talks, she has this whole kind of monologue in the earlier stages of the book where she wants, she expresses like a need to know like how it happened. Um, but then, so to me, it symbolized like maybe some growth that she's had, um, like 
in her impression of it. I don't know. But to be honest, I was kind of, when you were reading um, her intro again, it made me think maybe it comes out in the second book. Maybe it's because it, there is a second book, right? So maybe it, the ending is a little unsatisfying on purpose to draw people into the next one. I don't know. Now I do kind of want to read the second book to find out. I don't know. It really bothered me. (laughs) I really wanted to know. I'm wondering if, and I still don't think, even though I think the fact that she didn't open it, I imagine is supposed to represent that she didn't need to know that because she's let go of him and whatever he was like, the marriage is dead. The boring wife is dead. We're fine. We don't need to open it. But I really wanted to know. Um, and I do think it's, it symbolizes that she doesn't need to hold on to her uh, or even tear apart her vision of him. Um, but I didn't like that he didn't ever fall off the pedestal. He just kind of faded into the background of her life. You know, like where I think that a little fall from grace from him would have done her some good. And I get that she was supposed to heal without having that, but it would have been satisfying, especially because he did betray her in this way. I feel like he deserved the fall from grace, you know? Okay, but can I just say, like, to me, this felt more like real life because, like, in real life, you don't necessarily get things to happen or you don't like despite the fact that he did this horrible thing like sometimes you don't get the revenge that you need or you don't get the ultimate fall from grace that you want you just kind of have to pick up the pieces on your own and move on um and so that to me i was like i was satisfied in that way because i like no from personal experience, you don't always get the closure you want. Well, usually your ex is just an asshole. He's not a criminal asshole most of the time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I get that. Yeah, I don't know. There was something satisfying. But also, like, we saw at the funeral um, that, like, it wasn't until the funeral that the um, – it was Claudine's mom who finally got her revenge of her, like – now dead husband like it took her that long right so i think that it's also like doesn't necessarily happen on this like nice clean timeline that we hope for a book or whatever you know that's not life what was the purpose of showing us that funeral scene do you want to describe that a little bit somebody okay so um claudine's dad who she's had a bad relationship with dies uh, like midway through the book and um diane goes to the funeral with her and there's quite a stir that happens at the funeral when um i think it was like a an aunt or something or some like kind of distant family member reveals that uh he actually wanted an abortion he never wanted claudine and then like the the house of cards just falls and um claudine's mom is just clearly like enjoying it so much and she can't hold back her laughter and she tries to make it look like it's tears but it's really just her like relishing (laughs) in this moment i think the quote is something like funerals are great for settling scores or death is great for settling scores yeah yeah i remember it now um i do agree with what you've just said about how doesn't go on this like nice neat timeline like god knows how long that woman's been waiting to finally have his family know exactly what he's like um which i suppose is a little bit like what diane done when she said to the ex-mother-in-law like you know 
your son essentially is is gay, wanted me to pretend to be a man or however she put it. <laughs> and a like in defence of the son, obviously. So I suppose on it's maybe a little bit more of a grand scale doing it at a funeral in front of every other person. But it was just I don't want to say nice, it wasn't nice. <laughs> but for that woman, she obviously clearly really enjoyed it. Yeah, satisfying in some yes, way. Satisfying, that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> I know, I just don't really understand what the purpose of that scene was. Maybe that if you like if you don't kill the boring wife earlier, that's what you're kind of left with. And that was kind of if Diane wasn't able to kind of reconcile, she just would be bitter and angry and like cry laughing at Jacques' funeral like years later. I, I don't really, I was just curious, like what, yeah, what was the purpose of, of that funeral scene? Because I don't really think it was clear. Yeah, I think that's good insight. I think maybe also, as you've said that, it's made me think that maybe if uh, Jacques had never left, that at the end of the day, that's how Diane would have been. That like there was more resentment brewing than we realized and more problems maybe in the marriage than we were ever told. Um, so maybe that was like the fate that Diane avoided. I don't know. That's that's what I think. I think it maybe was a bit of a a bit of a, a place for Claudine's story, which is and her it was just kind of a B story because we kind of get a bit of her and um we, we hear a little bit about her, her marriage, her daughters. She has teenage daughters who are giving her are giving her a lot of grief. So maybe it was kind of a, a convenient pit stop for that story as well. Um, I think it's a good time. I want to talk about what do we think of the character of Claudine, the best friend? She's such an enabler. Like, <laughs> she just leads Diane down all these paths. And I think she like majorly projects how she felt with her ex onto Diane. It's interesting to think whether if she had a different best friend who was maybe a bit more mellow and like, oh, you know, go take a yoga class or like get it out your system, go for a jog, what the difference would be in the book. Because she, most of Diane's bad decisions came from Claudine, I think. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Katie, what do you think? I think she was, but again, I think that was the author being true to life like she was she was a terrible best friend to be getting getting through this with i think the fact that the same thing had happened to her was not a plus it was a minus i think it's so true to life like so many of our friends and you go through breakups are just absolutely terrible because they you know you it brings up your their own past trauma and they're having to deal with it and and, and things that maybe they haven't reconciled with and we get that from claudine who admits that she never really let him she never really got over Philippe. She always got, oh yeah, she reveals that she always gets really dressed up when she knows she has to see him because she's still holding on too and that she never really healed. Um, and I think that that's, yeah, that's so common is that when you, it, it's hard to lean on your friends because they so often project, as you say, onto you um, and can be really, really unhelpful and enabling for sure. But, it, but and again, like you have, I have empathy for Claudine because if you when you watch when you watch someone go through something that you've just gone through it's you have a lot of empathy but it's also can be very traumatic like you have to keep reliving it again and that's why everybody needs you know a therapist and a best friend because your best <laughs> friend is not a good therapist 
I also think I like the fact that Claudine was kind of a sh- not a shitty friend. She's a supportive friend. She just she just probably she just didn't really have a good outcome for whatever shenanigans they got up to. But but I think it's like Claudine's kind of like the the friend who's like family. Like you kind of get stuck with these people and. It doesn't really, even though your friends doesn't feel like you chose them, but they're just there, you know. Like Claudine's <laughs> yeah. that friend. What did you think of the difference between the children? That I was like, I couldn't really figure that out because obviously Claudine's children are younger, so they've had a tougher time dealing with her divorce, and they seem to act out like all the time. <laughs> all they do is act out, whereas like Diane's children, like really have their lives together they're so supportive of her they're so like caring to her and i wondered if that was a comment on you know when you divorce at different times like because obviously her parents or her kids were already out of the house when they got divorced or more of a comment on um like how good of a mother diane was i don't know i'm i'm really curious what you guys thought of that i think maybe it's a reflection on i don't want to say on the fathers because we don't really see much of either of them. But if, like, we're saying about... Is it Jack? My accent's going to absolutely butcher the French names. But if it's a comment on, like, Jack and how he maybe isn't the best person, he's got this huge, like, file against him, maybe the kids have seen that because they are a bit older and they've kind of been like, oh, like, my mum could do so much more with her life than be this boring wife that she is with my dad and then once they've split up seeing that they're very happy separate because the older you get that perspective as opposed to like when you're young you think your parents are the best thing ever regardless so maybe those children haven't quite not learned what their parents are like but they're still again putting people on pedestals like those kids still put them like mom and dad on these pedestals yeah i really like that insight i think that that's i I think i agree with you that it's probably more of a reflection of the dads than the moms i like that insight (laughs) (laughs) i do like the divorcing at different times bit though too because i think as you see you see claudine's daughters probably resenting her and and philippe and, and maybe acting out in in that sense um but I mean, when kids are grown, I, I'm sure it's it's still traumatic for them. But you see, whereas Claudine has more work to do with her daughters, you see uh, Diane's kids, well, not her kids, really just her daughter, Charlotte. The two boys seem like freeloaders and aren't really doing anything. But Charlotte is really taking care of her mother. Whereas I think when you get divorced at, at that age, at that stage in a marriage, and you have grown children, you can expect to lean on them a little bit more. Whereas when you have teens or preteens, like those kids are are probably going to be needing more of you. Yeah, definitely. It was interesting that, did anyone think it was weird that we didn't get to know those boys at all? Just her daughter, now that I brought it up. We really only see Charlotte. um, And then there's the, the boys come to dinner once, but I don't even remember both their names. One's Antoine and one's something else. I only remembered Antoine too. Was that like a dinner scene that when so not Antoine but the other son? I was like, who's this character? And like it took me a little <laughs> while to remember. Oh, actually, she has two sons, but we just haven't really spoke about them for the whole week. 
But I, I don't know. Like, I just think that this is part of it. Like, no shade to my brother. But, like, he's not – he's not the caregiver in, like, the relationship. And, like, when my – if my mom needed something, like, it would be me that would do it first. And, like, not to say that my brother is not, like, very supportive and very, like, he's great. He's a great guy. But, like, he's, he's not necessarily, like, the first line of, of call. You know, my parents would probably call me first. Maybe I'm just better. I don't know. It's hard to say. <laughs> My parents will laugh at this when they'll listen. They'll be like, uh, we like, we like Mark more. <laughs> I have issues with the entire Boots plot, but I want to hear what you guys think about the Boots story. So there's a time she, Diane in an, on an impulse buys these, she describes them, what, blue, are they blue suede? Italian leather boots that are very expensive and she wears them to work and she thinks that her colleague is flirting with her, but really he just wants to, and like complimenting her on her boots, but he just wants to know the name so that he can buy them for his wife. And in his office, she just takes the boots off and leaves them and runs back to her office barefoot. This is all while she is at her workplace. And then she goes to buy running shoes. Also in socks, like she, she, her next pair of shoes is, is our running shoes. <laughs> so she walks to the store <laughs> that like killed me with like out shoes. So she shows up to like, I imagine the running room with like no, no shoes on. And everyone's like, who is this chick? <laughs> so what, what did the boots thing mean? Like, does anybody have any insight? What was the purpose of the boots? I thought that whole like JP saga was not strange but I just thought for these two women who are clearly so hung up on their husbands cheating on them to go after someone who they clearly know has a wife I was like have you not learnt anything? Like the period is sat here like saying everything about these other women and then you're trying to turn Diane into the other woman. I just I did love the boots like saga when she ran off in her socks. I was laughing at that, but I just, I don't know. I was very confused as to why, what would drive them to to want to do that, like just to get a kiss. Like, Surely there must be some single men in their office, surely to God. The boots also sound ugly. That's my other problem. This is a 2018 book. This is recent, okay? It's not like I'm judging somebody's taste from a long time ago. This is recent. I've seen pictures of people, like, imagining what they look like, and every imagination of them are ugly. Like, if you're talking... If they're blue suede, like, dark blue... Like, I'm, th I'm picturing, like, royal blue suede. Maybe I'm wrong. They don't sound nice. They sound ugly to wrap this whole plot around these boots. I was picturing, like, um, Le Chateau... Like really, like I know that they're meant to be expensive, but like I was, that's, I couldn't get this out of my head. Like Le Chateau, like bright blue boots that are like, you know how they're like when they're like scrunchy on the boot, on the top of it. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know why this was the picture in my head, but I just like, I, I also couldn't get behind these boots. I was like, these boots in my head are hideous boots. Like I understand the impulse to like get rid of them. But I don't know why we're celebrating these boots. Yeah. Also, the idea of taking 
listen, I don't know how ever, about everybody else's feet and you don't have to disclose this, but the idea of taking, I know what Olivia's feet are like, taking boots off <laughs> in Montreal in My the winter, really nice. in the office. Yeah, but the idea of exposing your feet to the people in the office on like a winter day when you're trugging through the snow in Montreal. Do you know how much it snows in Montreal? That to me was the craziest part of this book. I completely agree. It was like kind of gross. It was legit think, gross. I didn't even think of the snow. I she had no shoes on when she went to that running shop, so surely, well, that just make that adds a whole new level that I because we don't really get snow. <laughs> I just did not factor in. Why would you take your shoes off in the snow? I think maybe her because she gets rid of the boots, right? And then they come back to her. So JP, this is p- part of why this whole saga happens with JP's wife, because JP is married. JP, because she gives him the boots to give to his wife, which is like, who wants used boots also? I, I agree. Um, he obviously gives them back, puts, but he puts in two bottles of, of nice wine that she and uh, her friend drink, and then she breaks her arm. Or what happens? Yeah, something like that. Something she like breaks. That. She breaks a bone. Yeah. Um. And then, so she gets them back, and as we know, at the end of the story, she throws them away once again. Do we remember this? She has to stop at the side of the road because she has to pee, and she <laughs> pees all over the boots, and then she just discards them. And this is what I think it has to be. I think it's like kind of a not subtle mer- subtle metaphor about clinging to like the boots were kind of um like a reactionary response like kind of a superficial coping mechanism like something she did on a whim and she bought this very expensive thing and that she kind of had to, to get rid of Jacques and to get rid of that she had to get rid of those types of mechanisms as well I don't know it just didn't really make sense that the boots came they came back she got rid of them again like I don't, I still don't super understand the purpose of this little plot device, and it's it's bugging me. So the star, the Toronto Star, in their review of this book, referred to it as a Cinderella in reverse, which I sort of was like, okay, if that's the imagery that we're going for, that you know the shoe doesn't quite fit, I, I can get behind that. Like the shoe of the relationship. If the, the shoe, shoe is the relationship. <laughs> but the boots came after the relationship was gone. That's what I don't understand. But did they? Yeah. She bought them like. I don't know. I, I didn't know the origin story. I like imagine that maybe the boots were like part of the ma- Like it was a gift. But or that would have made more sense. Yeah. That would have made we, more sense. The way she sold should- off her running. You know what? No, you're right because she sold she she used the money from selling her wedding rings. Remember that? Mm, mm. That's what it was. Mm, okay, you're so right, there you're is right. a there is a connection to him, but it's still like why wouldn't it be something that she had that that symbolized them? Like to me, that symbolizes if anything, it symbolizes like the superficial coping mechanisms, like the sledgehammer, all the. Like like bullying she does to all these people, <laughs> like all these very catty kind of mean things, ways that she copes. She needs to get rid of those before she can, um, like actually heal in a way that is healthy. The do you want to hear the rest of the star review? This great quote from from it. 
Yeah. As Diane Sega clearly shows us, we don't need a prince to make us happy. Life can be sunnier on the independent side of the street. Yeah, in, I saw independent side of the street. I was not impressed by that prose, to be honest. I'm going to be honest. I agree. But um, I think that the like the idea that like you don't need to – like the shoe doesn't need to fit. You can throw the shoes away. You can be happy on your own. That that the, that idea, I think, is fine. <laughs> let's let's stick with that. That you don't need a prince to be happy. Were we disappointed that she didn't need a prince to be happy? No. Do, <laughs> do, okay. Fine. Do we want something to happen with JP, or do we want something to happen with the tattoo guy? Were we disappointed that that didn't go anywhere? I did think she was going to end up with. When you say the tattoo guy, do you mean the construction? Mm-hmm. The man, the fella from down the street. Yeah, I yeah. did think, like, oh, this is going to turn into, like, your standard rom-com where the husband leaves and all of a sudden, oh, here's this perfect man who she would have never gone for before. And I was glad that it didn't. It didn't need to. It was It was about Diane. It wasn't about who she does or doesn't love. But part of me, like... Even though I said before like I didn't like the JP story because he has a wife, there was a part of me that wanted to see that drama. Like to see how she would have reacted if she did end up kissing him. One, because she hadn't kissed with tongues in 25 years. And two, because I imagine she would have like majorly freaked out in the office and that PA would have been like, what are you doing? I have to be honest, like I agree with you. I, d- I wasn't disappointed about the JP storyline because I felt like it wouldn't – like it wasn't necessary to like go down that rabbit hole with like a married man and it kind of like defeated the purpose, right? Because it's like if that happened to her and ruined her life in some way, then like she probably shouldn't be doing that for somebody else. But I was kind of disappointed that we didn't get like a rebound moment with the the tattoo guy because he just seemed like the guy you rebound with. I, I don't know. I was kind of like, Ooh, that would have been, even if they had like in that last kind of like moment when they hugged, just like a little peck, you know? Well, it wouldn't have been to fruition if there wasn't tongue because that was the whole problem. But okay. Yeah, we didn't get our French kiss at the end. There's I just, no, like, no tongues we, in the whole book. I know. That would have been just like satisfying just to have like to know that she was like going to have tongue, you know? Um, which she deserved. But I think if something had happened with JP, I do agree, Emily. I think that I would have enjoyed the drama. I think that it might have. I don't know. It might have been healing for her to have some empathy now becoming the other woman herself. And that might have like, that could have been helpful on her journey, obviously would have been a bad thing to do. And after she's just gone through it and and super hypocritical, but, but it probably would have, I think it would have been really interesting in her story if she had herself become the other woman. I think that that could have been, that could have gone to some, some cool places. So I wasn't against it just, just in terms of how the story was going, but it would have probably yeah, we would have lost some respect for Diane. Now, as far as the tattoo guy, here's what I think. This is my pitch for why something should have happened. It's because part of the boring wife is like, some of the, some of the, 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 the really thing I really didn't like about Diane is that she's very judgy. Like she, she kind of says, one of the things she's very judgmental about is tattoos. And she's like, in 30 years, though, what did she say? She's like, those flames are going to look like old shrimps. Like, she's like, she really doesn't like, she doesn't like tattoos. 
she's like very critical of people who wear leggings as pants. Like she's she's kind of she's kind of judgy, and I don't know if that's part of the boring life. I think if she had, if only she had made out with a man with tattoos, she would have come full circle and become a more accepting person, and not be so judgy of people with tattoos and other, you know, things that they do with their bodies. So I think, I think that we could have. I think that if that had happened, that could have been a good moment for her. But I, I think it only made, probably only made sense for this story to have her not end up with a guy because it kind of defeats the purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think one of the, probably one of the big themes that uh, the author is drawing upon in this story is how the breakdown of a marriage affects men versus women. Do we have any thoughts on that do you think this book had any unique insights uh, into kind of that phenomenon no <laughs> <laughs> to be honest no i think it showed like the he, the husband's just moved on straight away and he was fine he was happy obviously he then did he end up having a baby yeah his new wife or new girlfriend she was pregnant by the end and i was like right okay so he's just left his marriage and start up a whole new life whereas the wife is left picking up the pieces and trying to piece her life back together which is stereotypically what is always in film and tv um so it wasn't unique in that sense but it was unique that you got to see the inner workings of how she was feeling and why she was doing what she was doing yeah, I think it was probably very stereotypical, like, and it, it wasn't super inspired. And I also think we didn't get, we, because we didn't get so much from Jacques, we don't really know how he's dealing with the end of this marriage and whether he's affected at all. So we don't really, we never really learn that. Um, we it just looks like he's having a great, happy life with his new girlfriend and baby. But I think it's, it, it, this book kind of is, talks a lot about aging and how Diane kind of sees herself as old and how it's kind of unfair because you know in their 40s men are perceived as more attractive and it's like and it's kind of it's studied that as men get gray hair overall they become more attractive uh for some people she always says she's always describing herself as old flabby wrinkly whereas Jacques appears to be getting um more attractive with age I think, though, that this in this book, you hear very clearly like the voice of a woman and you get a perspective that I think is is unique in that sense because of how in her head we are. And I found myself like really relating to like the more mundane comments about like even when they were like when she was with um, Claudine and they were drinking wine and they're like, talking about like office drama I, I just felt like the details in in her um and like how she spoke to her therapist and what she was revealing about herself to be quite like distinct and unique in a way that like I think is kind of important and I think that like people who like are going through breakups going through divorces will find like quite a lot of comfort in this book um and to be honest, like, <laughs> I don't really know what the, the the landscape is in terms of, like, literature in the sense of, like, how much literature there is about women going through breakups or, or something like that. But I think that, like, to be honest, like, historically women have, like, 
constantly been left out of the conversation and um, forgotten almost after the marriage ends. And that in some way, like if you're, you know, once you're older, that your life is like less important or less glamorized or less like whatever. And so I think that this, this book is bringing like a really important perspective to the table in that sense, because it's saying like, no, like you're, (laughs) you're, you can be more alive than ever. Um, after a marriage, you can be like more exciting than ever as you enter into your fifties. And I think that that, that perspective for me is, is unique and, and really necessary, um, in the larger landscape of things. So you talk about, um, like you think this would be helpful for people who are going through a breakup or a divorce. Do you recommend this to people who haven't been for a divorce? Like who is this book for? I mean, I'm not going through a breakup or a divorce and I really enjoyed this book. So, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I think, you know, it's like obviously from a woman's perspective. So I think like inherently it'll slant towards women. Um, but I think like really, if you've ever been through a breakup, you'll, you'll find this book to be so relatable. And if you haven't been through a breakup, you should probably read this book to understand, <laughs> you know, what your friends. To prepare. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean. <laughs> Hopefully not, but like to, to be like maybe a little bit more empathetic to your, your friends who, or family who, who are going through this, who, you know, I think that like in the beginning of the book, when she just like posts on Facebook really quickly and then like deletes all her accounts, like it's like, there's a lot of, I think, shame that people feel when they go through divorce, um, potentially. And I think that this book is like, kind of a love letter to those people who do. And, um, I hope that it would help. Like, I hope that it's going to enhance my empathy towards people who do and understanding like how, how hard it is on the other side of it. Yeah. I definitely think of, um, so one of my friends has never had a break or she's been with the same person since she was like 14. So whenever one of our group was like going through a breakup, she'd always be like, why are you doing that? What are you doing this for? Whereas it, I feel like she should read this. I mean, hopefully none of us go through breakups anymore, but <laughs> she should read this and then be able to go, actually, like, yeah, okay. You're going to take a sledgehammer to the wall, but it's a process. So you do you. <laughs> um, I asked whether or who you recommend this book for because some of the... <laughs> some of the reviews so I've also pulled some some reviews I wanted to discuss one of them from anonymous who rated it one out of five stars uh and his comment was a book that no man should ever read (laughs) (laughs) which I have to say I just disagree with because like to be honest like you probably will gain a lot as a man reading this book into the insight of what it's like and there there's other there's other reviews by 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 men who really enjoyed this book just this this one sour guy um but listen he obviously read the book so uh, and he took the time to write a review so i hope he got something out of it a couple other reviews that i wanted to share with you (laughs) i can't be the only one that thinks being married to diane was torture i don't blame (laughs) him for moving on she isn't portrayed as a very nice person The way she acts and speaks to people is very disrespectful. I did find the story somewhat boring, but feel there are some underlying mental health issues with Diane that aren't addressed. I did think some of the things she did was extreme. And I thought it was strange that 
we don't really see much guilt from her for these things. Like the way that she removed all the toilet paper in her house when her husband's girlfriend was coming over. <laughs> like, that's so mean. <laughs> Just such a weird thing to think of to do as well. Like, of all the things she could possibly do, just like remove the toilet paper. Why? It's like, <laughs> I'm gonna let her, like, this bitch is gonna drip dry in yeah. the house. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> That's just. And and she has no, she really has no remorse either. So I, I didn't love that. Like some of that seemed just kind of nasty. I don't know. The pouring the water too was a lot. It just, there were kind of a few things where, it, yeah, I, she should have had at least a little bit of remorse for it. I, I would have liked to see that. I don't think that she was such a terrible person. And obviously we have empathy for her because of what she's going through. But I did find that to be a bit much. So I kind of agree with Nicole in a sense. Mm. Can I read you another favorite review? This is from Lauren. The book didn't deliver on the promises made in the blurb, in my opinion. This was a random pick from the library audio section, and I was not enamored of it. Of it? Hmm. Interesting. The main character was so discombobulated by the end of her marriage that she acted out, and I found it hard to believe the various destructive and mean-spirited stunts she pulled. What was billed as hysterically funny was, more often than not, the unfunny antics of an unhinged person. I mean, unfunny antics of an unhinged person would make me want to pick up the book. <laughs> yeah. There's so many women who have such such empathy for the character in these reviews. Like, this one woman has, like, a 20, 250-word review. I won't read it all, but I'll read part of it. This book had a visceral effect on me. My heart <laughs> my heart hurt for the fictional Diane. I was angry with her, sad with her, brokenhearted with her. It made me uncomfortable most of the time I was listening to it. I wanted to stop listening multiple times, but I couldn't abandon Diane, and the description of emotion drew me in. I felt I had a duty to be a witness to the pain to acknowledge it. <laughs> wow, she's in it. She's right in it. She's she... <laughs> I love the French Canadianness of this book. The English translation translation was excellent, and it kept some of the French turns of phrases. I didn't notice that at all. More importantly, it gave me a glimpse into a French-Canadian family and honored things that make them unique. I was captivated by the author's ability to reflect this uniqueness. I didn't really feel very much Quebecois culture in it. I don't know about you. I was just going to say that I, until you mentioned it earlier, I hadn't, I mean, I'm not an expert on Canadian culture anyway, but to me, it was it was Canadian, but I wouldn't have. I had no idea about the like subculture of. Where was it that you said? Ke- like Quebec, yeah, the Quebecois culture doesn't really ring. I don't really see much of it either, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. Like especially because a lot of the references were um, like American, even. Um, which I thought was interesting. And um, there was one review where actually someone remarked on that. I'm going to pull it up um, that they couldn't figure out where, where they were at, <laughs> at first because they thought that they were in France. And then they realized that, um, that because of the way they were referring to the American references that they had to be in North America. Oh yes. So K hole said um, it wasn't until halfway through that she even realized that they were in Canada and, um, 
but she couldn't figure out why the setting seemed so American rather than European. But now, but then she got it because, um, she found that it was North American because of the large suburbs and the, like the large yards, the fast food, the suburban (laughs) watering holes. So I thought that was funny because it, like, it, it, it is true that like in Canada, we have space, like we have yards, you know, that's what suburbia looks like. Whereas like, I imagine that's not necessarily what suburbia looks like in, in France. So I think that there are some things that like probably got lost on Katie and I, um, just because it's so commonplace, um, that, um, but then, you know, like, like I said before, like the references to, to game of Thrones seeing like so exotic that did kind of like catch me a little bit. I was like, because for us, like that's, I wouldn't say it's like part of our culture, but like it wouldn't be, it wouldn't stick out to me in a conversation in the same way that it like seemed to like stick out. Okay. I have one more I want to read to you. Um, so there were parts that were funny, but I didn't think, I just want to preface this by saying, I didn't think it was as hysterically funny as the the Goodreads description of the book is it's a hysterical tale. And I kind of didn't laugh that much. And I, I do expect, I don't know if you disagree, but I do expect that that's probably because some of the, um, I think some of it might've been a little bit lost in translation because it was written in French. I'm sure I imagine the French version is probably a bit funnier. Did you guys find it funny? There's like one or two points where I did laugh. But for the most part, I was like, like it was amusing, but it wasn't, I wasn't crying, laughing. I, I didn't know. But to be fair, like I didn't really find it that that funny, hysterically funny, let's say. But like for me, those, like her antics don't, wouldn't make me laugh under normal circumstances. Whereas like I know that, that probably would for a lot of other people like her running down the street in her like socks her taking a sledgehammer like i'm sure that so many people thought like those moments were funny but that's just something i wouldn't generally laugh at anyway but i was very amused well morgan shulman rated it amazing and she said now this one had me cackling to the point that my husband had to come and check in on me several times. I don't know what's happening in Canada between this and working moms. It is clearly the place to be for a woman of a certain age who gives zero fucks and I'm ready to pack my bags. <laughs> I was just going to say, I also found this. I ha- I'm not done with my reviews. I'm sorry. I know you are. But um, Abigail said that she loved the characters of Diane and Claudine and she found that they were the wine mom version of Thelma and Louise. And to me, that was like the most apt um, representation of their relationship. Like they were both egging each other on. They were both like doing bad things. But like at the end of the day, they were like ride or die. I thought that that was good. He said, the narrator is a train wreck or a flea bag, as they say in England. So maybe, Emily, you can vouch for that. But likable and relatable and full of witty observations that had me laughing a lot. And I thought that that was like real. I was like, that really hit the nail on the head for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to put it out there. I don't actually think we call train wrecks flea bags as a nation. Okay. I'm glad we've had some <laughs> clarification on that. But, uh, yeah, I can, in terms of, were they on about the flea bag TV show, stage show, I'm assuming? Um, yeah, I can see that would agree with that i think so because even like fleabag is does like nasty things does bad things is like you know by all standards should be unlikable but but we love her and we root for her 
I think that's true of Diane. Diane does some terrible things, but I still I was never not rooting for Diane. Final thoughts, takeaways. What do you want to leave the listener with about this book? Okay, can I say something? Just my my wrap up thoughts that I absolutely have to make sure are on the podcast is that this book hits different while you're reading it in COVID, and let me tell you why. Because of really two quotes. <laughs> so when the wife or the other woman comes over to the wife's house, um, she remarks that, it, well, she's wearing loungewear. And Diane says, it's really tough to go after someone in loungewear. They already seem so down on their luck. <laughs> I remember reading that and thinking, um, right, has been me for the last yeah. 12 months. <laughs> I know. I took it personally. I was like, rude. (laughs) And then also the cat couldn't go outside until he had all of his vaccines. So that hit different because there was a mention of a vaccine. Yeah, it did. Well, I can't go outside until I have all my vaccines. Oh, right. So you are like the cat in that way. I am. I'm the cat. I'm the cat in this book. I actually really liked it. So one thing that not necessarily to do with the book, but to do with Canadian literature in general. When you asked me, do you have any on your shelf? I was like, yeah, surely I must. And the only one was Margaret Atwood. And then even as I was Googling it, it is so difficult to find Canadian literature outside of Canada. Like, I just, there was no no lists, no nothing. I was like, where do you even start? So I think we should read more stuff like this because this was actually really enjoyable especially with stuff like the Bridget Jones reference I'm like okay so we're making it over there but you're not making it to us <laughs> it, it was just like should be more of a middle ground but I'd definitely recommend it um I would like to read it in French I don't speak French but I would like to know what the translation like how it does if it works in French as well but yeah, definitely recommend. Wow. Well, we just got roasted um, by a Brit on our Canadian <laughs> literature. So I think that this should be a wake up call to us. <laughs> no, no, no. That was definitely not a roast. That was a, we need more. No, no. I mean, I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I think though, this is like, it's, it's good. And it's part of the reason why I wanted to do it in the first place is that we discovered this book through um, Canada Reads, who puts out a, like a long list and then eventually shortlist every year of like the top however many books that year, um, I think to encourage uh, to people or help people find books. Um, yeah. But so if anyone's looking for Canadian literature, the Canada Reads list is a good place to start. Mm-hmm. And I really think we should do maybe maybe two from the list every year or two or three every year. Help people. Help you, just let people know what we think, you know, because our opinion is so valuable to the Canadian public. <laughs> well, thanks, everybody, for listening to our first first iteration of Book Club. Read this book. It's a good book. It's, it's, it's a quick read. It's fun. It's pretty easy to digest. I think some of the reviews make it sound really intense. I don't think it was that intense and dark. Like, I think it... It, it it can be dark at times but it never goes goes too too depressing. I think it's uh I think it's it's overall a really fun read about a woman finding herself. Um Yeah. So so and go out and read this book. Can I just say like it did remind me a little bit of The Stone Angel, which is um a famous Canadian book 
written by Margaret Lawrence, and she's from Manitoba, which is why everyone in Manitoba knows this book. Um, and it did remind me of that, but what I felt like was missing a little bit with the Stone Angel, or the Stone Angel was that dark <laughs> book that Katie's just described. It's like a 90-year-old woman who's looking back at her life, and she's just like bitter and unhappy and like kind of a horrible protagonist um, that you, you really can't get behind. And so this book is not that. It's very, it's much more lighthearted. It's like you have something to, to like root for Diane for and, and she is likable. So like this, when I read, I had to read the Stone Angel in grade 12 um, literature, like this was the book I was kind of hoping it would be. So, um, you know, I think you're Katie's, you're right. Like in the comments, it does leave you with like a bit of that impression, but like this is, this is not the Stone Angel. This is much better. And don't forget to uh, subscribe and write a five-star review about how beautiful, smart, and funny we are. And absolutely make sure that you go over to Emily's (laughs) podcast. Emily, where can everyone find you? So it's The Breakfast Book Club, Apple, Spotify, Google, all those great places. And of course, your beautiful Instagram. Yes, and Instagram. At thebreakfast.bookclub. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on, Emily. You gave us like such, you gave us really some authority in talking about books as you are the the resident book expert. I mean, I don't think I have any authority, but thank you for having <laughs> me, especially as your non-Canadian guest. What an honour. It was great. I've even have my Canada jumper Aww. on. This is my Sunday She's wearing jumper, a... So. <laughs> She's, for those of you who can't see, she's wearing a Vancouver crew neck, and it's very cute. Such a tourist fangirl. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's amazing. Okay. Okay, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.